Chino Pod. This week we are talking to you about a Sea of Love. I'm Callie, also at Callie Bud on Twitter, and I'm joined with Jane at Static Blue Bag. The lovely Jane, who today is like serving us like Woodstock vibes. <laughs> Decked out in a floral blouse slash. Wearing my mom's dress. This is your mom? Yeah, it's my mom's dress. Oh. Well, they learn something new every day. <laughs> Most of the clothes that I have are my mom's, actually. So any clothes that I'm giving away are also my mom's. Okay, well, I did get this from Callie, and apparently I got it from Callie's mom, so... <laughs> in, a, in a grandmother sort of way, yes, you know, like, yeah, and the dresses. And she, yeah, has no idea. Anyway... <laughs> I, I bet she would think you look cute in it. Well... We can only hope. <laughs> um, I think I look cute. I, I only said that we were talking about Sea of Love. We're also talking about the local... Oi, we're talking about the local stigmatic. Which is, that's exactly as bad as Al Pacino's Cockney accent in that film. <laughs> it's a movie about the dogs and the pub and the loggers and beating people up. Yeah, that, I mean, actually, that's, that is literally it. It's a one-act play. <laughs> yeah, they even call it a play in the credits. I guess if we can keep talking about it if we want, but we can start with Sea Love if we're going to yeah. do it chrono chronologically. Right. Work into it. <laughs> that was just a, a, a tease. A teaser. A teaser. Yours is better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sea Love. Uh, Al Pacino's big comeback movie after four years away, directed by Harold Becker, I believe. Harold Becker. 1989. Famous director Harold Becker. He did uh, Vision Quest. I don't know if anybody's familiar with that movie from the mid-80s. That's about the one that I recognized when I was looking over his filmography. That's the one about, uh, it's kind of a rocky ripoff, except it's about high school wrestling. And it's also notable for... Um, Madonna's first film appearance that's not in a low shitty low budget movie before she was famous like it's her fil first film appearance as Madonna she doesn't have a speaking role she just sings in the club and uh, I have a friend who loves this movie or uh, not Sea Love Vision Quest <laughs> I do not have a friend who loves Sea Love yeah I was like who the fuck loves Sea of Love I have a, yeah no I have one of my best friends from high school who loved Vision Quest that's the only reason I know about it <laughs> so thanks that's my biggest connection to Harold Becker before watching think, this movie <laughs> I don't think I recognized anything else in his filmography either he also has another Pacino film that in the mid 90s that I think that we have not, neither of us have seen yet, I think. City Hall. Oh, he directed Mercury Rising, which is with uh, Bruce Willis and Alec Baldwin, I which I think I watched um, when I was far too young to do so. I have never even heard of that movie. <laughs> Late 90s. Yeah. When uh, my parents were like, just watch a movie. Just watch whatever, literally whatever. We just can give stop you. talking. <laughs> <laughs> and I never did. No. And that's why we're here. That's why we're here. Um, yeah, I guess. But we're not here to talk about Mercury Rising. We're here to talk about... We're here to talk about Sea of Love. One of Callie's most favorite films <laughs> we've seen so far. <laughs> I think I... So I watched this first. I texted Jane. Sea of Love was fine. Yeah, Usually you, I text Jane 80 times. Yeah. 
while I'm watching the film. Yeah, if, uh, yeah, compared to the 75 texts I got during Revolution, I got, like, one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was just afterwards I said it was fine. And it was fine, but, it's, I mean... It's okay. When you, like, think about, like, yeah, Pacino's, like, grand return to film and, like, what it should be... I mean, you have to think about it. its motivations were also not like, oh, well, Sea of Love is this amazing script and I have to go back to acting. It was uh, like, oh, shit, I'm, I'm it's, broke. Uh, it's four years since I've last been in a movie. I have no money. Can't let Diane Keaton down. Yeah, you, yeah, you told me Diane Keaton gave him, was the one who, like, pushed him to do this film. <laughs> yeah, I read in this interview that Al Pacino did where he said that, you know, he was living with Diane Keaton at the time. He called her his great love. He was like my great love, Diane Keaton, which I thought was so sweet, and I almost cried. And then he said that she like reads scripts just all the time. Like she's just constantly like looking for roles that she would like to do. And in the late 80s, she was doing that a lot, spending a lot of time reading. And she found the script for Sea of Love and just thought he would, he would be good for it. And he liked it well enough. It wasn't, you know, he also didn't think it was like, an amazing script but it was like good enough and he likes obviously to play uh, detectives who hunt serial killers which I, I saw a tweet I was telling Jane that I saw a tweet where somebody said that Sea of Love and Cruising are the same movie absolutely not not in any way shape or form no, no, no. other than like loosely both are about a guy undercover looking for a killer that's it <laughs> well in Cruising we have like, yeah, both movies are about, like, detectives, undercover, serial killer. We have those things in common. But Cruising is about an actually, like, good detective who, like, has never really been undercover before but seems to, like, take to it fairly well, tracks a killer, mm -hmm. like, makes good choices. Like, he does get into, like, a romantic almost situation with the killer, so I can see where the correlation is there. But he's not actually falling for the killer, and he doesn't actually want to, like, fuck the killer. It's like he just knows that that's the killer and that this is, like, a good way to trap him. Whereas, like, Frank Keller in Sea of Love, that's the character's name that Pacino plays, he's just a fucking idiot the whole time. Like, his... Yeah, he's, he's not a good, not a good detective. Um, it's kind of like, his character, have you ever seen um, The Long Goodbye with Elliot... Elliot Gould, the 70s movie. It's, I think so. Um, I remember I had to watch it for my film noir classes. It's in The Long Kiss Goodnight. <laughs> no, very, very different films. But like in The Long Goodbye, Elliot Gould plays this like detective who's in way over his head and he, you know, he's kind of bumbling around and doesn't, you know, always confused about everything. And, you know, he smokes and he drinks and he's just kind of a fuck up. And that's kind of uh, Al Pacino's character in this. Not as interesting, I guess. <laughs> yeah, he's like supposed to be kind of like a hardened cop. He's like recently divorced. And that's how the film kind of opens up on him is that he he's like this pathetic almost character who like is drunk all the time and he like his suits don't fit him. That's, that was my big issue with like being attracted to Pacino is like the way they dressed him in this movie. 
is like in the beginning of Crazy Stupid Love, where like Ryan Gosling is like, you're supposed to have suits that fit you, you know? And it's like Al Pacino does look like he is wearing his dad's suit in the entire movie. Yeah, and I'm sure that was like, I, I will give a benefit of the doubt and assume that that was an intentional decision. <laughs> I mean, it could have been if like their wardrobe. Just tech, make him look more disheveled. And somebody that doesn't care about their appearance, because, yeah. which, I mean, uh, a lot of people who get divorced, they like they just kind of are like, fuck it. You yeah, know? and he's always getting into fights with, because apparently his, like, one of the other guys on the force married his ex, and so he's, like, constantly getting in fights with him and then apologizing <laughs> afterwards. It's so strange, it seems like he wants to be the dude's friend, yeah. but then he, like, can't help himself from, like, getting upset with him, and it's like... He just keeps making an ass of himself. Like, it's like he can't just, like, be yeah. dignified about the situation. Like, dude, your wife is just gone. Yeah. And, and probably, you know, justifiably. So the other dude seemed like he was a lot more sober and with it and, yeah. like, a good detective. Do we want to just go ahead and spoil the end the big twist right now? Because I kind of, like, want to talk about the parallels between how he starts and, like, sure. what the killer is. Yeah, I mean, because we can talk about, I don't think that they're, the twist is really that good. Yeah, it's really kind of contrived and out of nowhere. And so, it's not... so, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, like, you know, it just, it's, you don't see it and be like, what? You're like... Oh, that's it. <laughs> that's, that's exactly. Yeah, I was like, oh, okay. Like the the killer's MO when they're studying it at the beginning. There's, you know, been a series of murders of men in New York City where they went on a date and then someone like it's like they can always tell that someone made them like fuck a bed like and then killed them like shot them in the back kind of and so they're investigating that and they have uh they have prints and they have lipstick on something which leads them to believe it's a female serial killer and whatever they don't really have like all that much more than that so that makes it like kind of whatever the whole like suspense of the movie is just that frank keller's an idiot and he didn't get this chick's prints yeah so the whole time you think it's her but then you yeah, find it, out and he thinks and even at the end he thinks it's her but yeah you find out it's her fucking crazy ex-husband who is played by um you said it's somebody from the walking dead yeah he plays merle in the walking dead so you i mean he is in the movie like couple earlier. scenes he's in a couple scenes what is his name I believe his name is Michael Rooker. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Michael Rooker. Um, Who's great. I mean, he knocks it out of the park in most things that he's in. He's also uh, Yondu and Guardians of the yeah. Galaxy. Yeah, he's been in a few things. He, uh, yeah, he, you see him a couple times. He's just, like, this racist worker in the, like, the hotel that one of the people, or it was either a hotel or apartment building that one of the people was murdered in. And he said, he tells Al Pacino's, or character and uh, that he saw someone he just saw a random black guy come through and that was must be who the guy was that did it and he yeah he just kind of is racist for like yeah. a second and then goes away i mean when it's revealed that he's the killer you're like oh well, that guy is an asshole but assholes don't usually just kill people you know yeah and his whole thing was he was, like, tailing his ex-wife on all her dates because she was the one who was, like, picking out people 
in the because um, it, it was like one of whatever the classifieds were for dating like the guy the guys who were leaving like poems were the guys that she wanted to go on dates with yeah because they were like intensely romantic type people and so uh, michael rooker's character was just following his ex around on these dates and then like having the the guys like he's like show me how you fucked her yeah and they show he just has the guys hump the bed and then he like kills him and Pacino's character keeps thinking that it's her because and it's not really stupid but like this is like why he's like a really shitty detective though because the title track of the of the, the of, that's related to the title of the movie see a love by phil phillips like that song was on repeat in the first murder so like, al pacino gets this kind of like connection with this song and he keeps and he thinks that there's like a really deep connection with the song and like the murders because he finds that record in his girlfriend's collection and then she brings it over at the end because she saw that he was like looking, looking at intently it. at this record and she puts it on and then he's like oh you're the killer you brought a thing you know he like has this big fucking freak out he but, like throws her off but it was just a coincidence it was just a really stupid coincidence that she owned this like popular song from like the 50s in her record collection in her giant record collection and the guy that played it just play was playing it when he was murdered because it was a romantic song <laughs> yeah but like the you know like fucking michael rooker's character has no connection with that song you know he just was, was happened to kill him when that song was on the fucking stereo <laughs> i just feel like they didn't pepper in enough details throughout to make it like to make, give you any, like, sort of inkling that there might be, like, also somebody that could be trailing her, or, like, any other options. The whole movie, you just think, okay, it has to be her. Like, and Pacino's just an idiot. Yeah. And, because, like, even at the end, he finds, like, all of the ads and all of the victims, like, yeah. they're on her fridge, so it's, like, barely even hidden. And that's why he, like, gets so upset with her, too one of the things there's like just several things but the whole time john goodman is just like just get her prince it's like so and he want like he so very and there was like one point in the movie where he very easily could have got her prince but he was I mean, like they date steadily it's yeah like he could... at any point but like he like the first time that they she sleeps over with him like he has the cup of like coffee that she used and right. he almost takes it as evidence and he like wipes it off and he's like nah fuck that which i'm like in a in a like I want to be a good boyfriend way, probably. Yeah, you don't want to accuse your, like, new girlfriend of being a fucking murderer. But also, like, as a detective, <laughs> it's really fucking stupid. Because it's like, you can very easily rule her out and then just, like, then you know it's not her. And then the whole movie, then, then, the, then the rest of the movie is over. Because there is no more movie. <laughs> like, this is one of those movies where the only reason there's a movie is because... The main character is a fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah, I read this interview where the person giving the interview was talking to Pacino about Sea of Love, and he said that the like he didn't think that the murder made sense and that sort of stuff, and like Pacino seemed to agree. But then he said that like the relationship was so tumultuous, and then they had this like great reunion at the end. He was like, "You and Ellen Barkin, who plays yeah. the uh, the other lead, he was like, you and Ellen Barkin really like brought it all together.'" 
And, like, I really did not understand their relationship at all. Because, like... She, she hates gets, him at she first. She gets so mad at him, too, whenever yeah. she finds out that he's a detective. And it's like, I mean, yeah, it sucks that he lied to you, but, like, he's also, like, trying to find a killer. And that's, like, the only reason that he lied to you. Is, well, you know, she, like, like, makes it a big deal when they first get together. She's like, oh, I love that, like... You know, men always lie about everything, and I love that you're so real. Like it's like a like like one of those kind of things. So you're like, oh, this is telegraphed as well, because he's hiding a secret that he's actually a police right. officer, and like Does some secrets make sense. Yeah. <laughs> and then like, well, and he what sucks too is that he just is bad at keeping the secret. He even like accidentally tells her that they're looking for a serial killer. Like not just that he. Yeah. Like, well, he accidentally reveals the entire thing mm -hmm. when he's, like, you know, got cold feet about asking her to marry him, basically. Um, yeah. And she's like, yeah, that's fucking stupid because we just met. Um, and you don't even like kids. <laughs> Which she has. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, he's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, how do you do this? How do you, like, put your names in the classified? And she's like, well, you fucking did it, too. And he's like... Yeah, but I was on a job, and, you know, we're looking for a killer. So. And she's like, what? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, and she's super mad at him about that. She's even super mad at him after all comes out that, like, her ex-husband was the murderer, murdered all of her dates, and tried to murder Frank. She's still, like, pissed at him, and he still has to, like, ask for her forgiveness and stuff. And it's like, maybe after all of that, you can just kind of be like, maybe we should have a fresh start. Like, it just feels strange that he still had to like kind of beg yeah a little bit contrived it just felt like they were being like oh women are so difficult <laughs> or yeah. something yeah well uh, ellen barkin apparently did not enjoy making this film at all except for al pacino <laughs> yeah i just found her her quote about that which you had told me yeah, it's on the Wikipedia page. I found a an interview from the Huffington Post where she said that this movie is not her best work and she didn't think Harold Becker liked her, but this movie did make her a household name, which I thought that was interesting because I've never heard of her. Sorry, Ellen. Um, the article states that Barkin says that she was forced into doing the sensual grocery store scene where she caresses yellow peppers while wearing little under her raincoat other than a sly thigh to entice oh, co-star Al Pacino. She didn't want to do that scene. That's fucked up. Yeah. Barkin said she had a big fight with Becker over it since she really didn't want to do it. But Pacino was brilliant and very generous to work with. And the reason it's hard for her to watch is when she views Sea of Love, what the audience sees as attitude on her part is really a tenseness. But through her training and method acting at the actor's studio, she made her tenseness and that scene work for her in front of the camera. It was her first role where she was cast as an object of desire. Yeah, so, like, she doesn't, yeah, she, and for all good reasons, she doesn't like this movie because she felt very objectified. And, Which, I mean, the yeah. whole, mo like, the way the whole character is set up is about her body. Yeah. Which is rocking. But, like, there could have been way more, like, also character development. Because, like, I feel like they had her, like, kind of dancing around a lot and, like... Yeah, she's supposed to be, like, this, like, like, you know, like, I just want to fuck you know all and the time and you know like i want intensity and passion like the reason that she like because she turns pacino death's character down she turns frank down at first um she's just like i don't feel it i know it i don't feel any passion and then they bump into each other later and she's like 
Okay. What does yeah. he do? He like yells at some dude in her store, and then she's like, "Okay." <laughs> you yelled at one of my clients. Fine. I see that fire in you. Yeah, she. Yeah, that was the uh, the other thing that was. Oh yeah, this was where the realness thing came from. She asked him. She was like, "Clearly, you didn't write that poem that you put in oh, the paper." Yeah. And he was like, "No, nah, my my uh, mom did for my father, and I just picked it out because you know I liked I liked that poem." And um, she was like, "Oh wow, you're real. Like most guys would never admit that or whatever." Like. I appreciate like and that's when she kind of like it's like mm, this guy's real this is a real guy and then like he spends the rest of the film like basically being like okay I'm not a ink I'm not a like printing person okay I'm a cop like you know like oh. okay you're right yeah I did lie about that right. yeah it's like, <laughs> like just he's... layers and layers of lies yeah tangled web tangled web of lies you know the reason I didn't like this movie was really because it just reminded me of like a, like second-rate Coen Brothers film like someone like wanted like like something that they would do in their sleep and much better even down to like having John Goodman in it who's like in like always like in the same like in because he plays Al Pacino's partner in this film and you know he's like a go-to guy for the Coen Brothers for roles like this so it it just really felt like God, this feels like it wants to be a like neo-noir Coen Brothers style movie and it just like it's like just missing something. <laughs> Are there other noir films where the detective is stupid? Yeah, well, that's what I was saying, like, The Long Goodbye. That's what it reminded oh. me of, because, like... like stupid? Yeah, well, yeah, he's just, like, in over... Like, and it's, like, a lot of film noir, like, um, the main character is, like, uh, like, a hard-boiled type of guy, but he's, like, always, like, way in over his head, or, like, you know, he's, like, kind of, like, you know, there's something about him that, like, he's not on the up and up and then like she's kind of like that femme fatale type character that you see in all like the early film noirs that whole like not knowing how to deal with a murder investigation i think works as a comedy but not in like something like this like i I like movies where like pineapple express or something where like people witness something and it's just ordinary people dealing that whole like ordinary people extraordinary circumstances like thing in screenwriting where like Wilma always talked about that he was like it's really funny to watch like a fucking like mailman deal with the mafia or something he was like write something like that but this movie it's like You'd think a NYPD investigator who has like twenty, like he just celebrated his twenty, exactly. and you see at the beginning, you're set up at the beginning to think that he is co- competent because he's like, you know, the beginning of the film is like the NYPD is setting up this big like we're gonna get all these people who have like warrants out for their arrest. We're all gonna tell them like give them tickets and tell them it's like a Yan- Yankee, you've been invited to the Yankees meet and greet or whatever. Right, it was so fucked up. <laughs> yeah, and they all show up, and he and it's like, he's like applying, like, oh, is your, like, because it was like his, I think it was supposed to be his idea or something. Mm-hmm. So, like, he's set up to be like, okay, this is guy, this guy knows what he's doing, and then it's like, oh, wait, no, he really doesn't. <laughs> they, yeah, they do kind of show, like, they're trying to show, like, oh, he's smart, he's compassionate, he's a good guy, but then also, like, he's he's just stupid, like, there's because there's one guy that has a warrant who like brings his kid to see the Yankees and he just kind of is like uh uh-uh. uh he like shows him his badge so that he can kind of 
be like see that it's a sting and, and like, just get the fuck out leave. yeah just take your kid and leave you know and the guy like gets it and dips mm. which i don't know maybe you're supposed to think that like he also would be like that to her no, he, he's like a, like, urges, he, like, this guy has a good heart, like, yeah. Yeah. Like, he obviously, you know, he, he understands things, and he's a very emotional guy. Um, and, you know, there are points where, it, like, that they play that up, too, because he, like, she gets in these, like, really, like, flamboyant leopard print shoes, and he's like, I'm wearing your shoes, because I love you, even though, like, I would never be caught dead in these shoes, because I'm a man, I'm a cop, <laughs> you know? I'm a cop. Yeah, yeah, he's like, uh, he, the voice he uses in this is bad. It's like, it's getting into that territory of where people, that, that impression we all hear. Hoorah! Yeah. That's not far away. <laughs> Just a few more films. <laughs> Did you like John Goodman's, uh, Yeah, his, his performance is probably the best part of the movie. It's just John Goodman makes it His, he has watchable. little baby cheeks in this movie. No. 89, so he's still pretty. Yeah, I don't know if Roseanne had started yet, but it was along those lines. And, like, he'd already been in a Coen Brothers movie by this point. He was in fucking, um, Raising Arizona. He was like one of the convicts in Raising Arizona. <laughs> so it's like he was our maybe maybe uh, Harold saw him there and he was like, oh, let's make him a detective. And then the Coen brothers were like, let's just keep using John Goodman and everything. <laughs> the the hunt, you know, for the serial killer and like them having to sort of date women as their undercover uh, leads us to uh, this being another bisexual Pacino character. <laughs> Because he said he likes... Um... Oh, well, yeah, because there's that scene at the beginning, like, when they're really just starting the investigation where he's, like, calling up all, like, the, all the women who, like, replied to his ad. And um, and one of them is just, like, really, really out of, like, so, do you like women or do you like men? And he's like, I like... Oh, you like... Like, he's, like, on the phone. He's like, oh, you like both? Me too. But right now, you know, I'm... I'm mostly... He's, like, mostly, mostly women. women. <laughs> and then there is also a scene where they talked about sexuality, him and John Goodman... I chose to take as as open and cool and progressive, but I mean, it also could be taken away as possibly. Yeah. Yeah, they ask if he would ever date like a trans girl, and he's like, "Oh yeah, it all depends on personality or whatever." Yeah. I was like, oh, that's... I mean, I feel like it could have gone a different direction. Yeah, I mean, if it's... it was like two two Brooklyn caps talking. It could have got a lot worse if he was like rock now and was like yeah, exactly. Tired, so I guess you know. Yeah, it was. It's fine. As far as, like, transphobic moments in film goes, it wasn't that I forgot to see if, um, we could find out if that, um, actor was a trans woman or not. Oh, yeah, because the scene, we, um, right before when, why, the reason why they're talking about it is a woman comes in for the date and is, like, immediately knows that he's a cop, and she's like, you got cop eyes, I can tell that you're, like, <laughs> and, you know, she gets up and leaves, and she's like, what does she say? There's like, um, if you're if you're like if you're not a cop, then I have a. Then dick. I haven't got a dick. Or oh, she says I haven't got a dick. I thought she said I've got a dick. If oh, you're not a cop, cop, then I haven't got a yeah. dick. Okay, okay. Well, that's why. Okay, yeah. I was. I think I, me misinterpreting, just mishearing that line was why. Um, I wasn't sure if she was trans or not because he's like I didn't know uh, because then he says that shitty like I didn't know I didn't doubt it for a second honey yeah or something like just that. like want to smack him in the face <laughs> well yeah so we're not really sure what 
like how this is supposed to be read. I, whenever the actress sat down, I, I did think she was trans. Uh, and then like through the, the dialogue and stuff, she was also just like the most, like perceptive. Yeah. And but she also is just like a woman in New York, so she's like, you fucking cop. Yeah. And she's like, I can tell by the way you look at me. Yeah. You look at me like I'm in trouble. <laughs> I thought she was, that was a great character. I mean, a lot of the the women that he talks to are interesting. I mean, that was maybe my favorite part of the movie, is just all these different women that mm -hmm. respond to his ad. Like, am I mixing this up with another movie, but isn't there an older woman that responds to him? Yeah, yeah, she's the first one he goes on a date with. And she's like, you're not going to call me back. And she, yeah. even go, she even stays and sees that he's on, like... Because he, he's like, I gotta go pick up my kid. And then she's like, just stays, and he's like, there are like seven or eight more dates in the. And she's just watching him, and she, yeah, they had this like connection, and but he kind of let her on, and it's like so sad because you you can tell that like, I mean, he probably wouldn't have been interested anyways mm -hmm. if it wasn't a job. Yeah. But uh, and she knows that, which is just like, oh, it must be yeah. hard for old biddies to date in New York. Pretty. Crazy! Oh my God, Al Pacino is. Of dating age for my grandma. You're going to hook your grandma up. Al Pacino, if you're listening, please date Callie's grandmother. That seems presumptive since my grandpa isn't dead yet. Please date Callie's grand please grandmother. Please be in a polycule with my grandparents. <laughs> please. <laughs> please just show up at his at her grandparents' door and be like, I'm, I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> June, I'm here. It's my grandma's name. <laughs> <laughs> She would probably be like, oh my god, take me away. <laughs> she lived on a farm her entire life in Kansas. And yeah, live her last few, like, decades with uh, Oh, my grandma has 20 more years left in her. Yeah. Have I told you that there are, like, over six centurions in my family? Oh, Everyone wow. Everyone in my family lives to be over 100. <laughs> like, no matter how hard we try. <laughs> well, you know, if climate change doesn't kill us all, I look forward oh, to Oh, God, I'm going to live through it all. <laughs> Fuck. I'm going to be, like, in a roving, like, scooter gang over, <laughs> like, the desert tundra. Mad Maxing it Mad at the nursing home. <laughs> that's way, that's really hilarious, though. <laughs> like, we should write that down as just, like, a... A roving gang of old people that have lived through the apocalypse <laughs> and they like stuck together. Oh man, we could yeah. Let's pull a um, a couple orderlies that were real loyal. <laughs> let's pull a Kevin Smith and just like turn this podcast into a movie like he did with Tusk. <laughs> did that evolve out of their podcast? Yeah, like the the movie you know Tusk, right? The movie about Justin Long is like gets kidnapped and gets turned into a walrus. Um, I didn't know that that was the full plot. I knew it was about somebody that grows tusks. No, yeah, he gets turned into a walrus. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. The first half of the movie is, like, surprisingly okay. And then once he, once you see him in the walrus costume. But, like, I had turned it off. Like, yeah. I turned it off. Because I was like, what the fuck is this? That's so funny. That movie came out when I worked in in the video shop. Oh, really? And I remember people being like... I wish I knew this guy's name. He was one of my regulars. But I was like, yeah, this movie just came out called Tusks. Uh, all the dudes are watching it, like all the dudes in the video shop. And he was like, who made this? And I said, Kevin Smith. And he went, Pfft. and he like threw it back across the counter. Oh me. my God, that's <laughs> awesome. Oh my God, that is so funny. 
fucking funny. See, I know we, we gotta we gotta um, tell the you need to we need to talk about Kevin people. <laughs> yes. Another great podcast also features a former guest of our podcast. <laughs> uh, in a couple weeks, we'll have. Um... For the Glengarry Glen Ross episode, uh, one of my old co-workers from the video yeah, oh store. Oh, yes, that'll be fun, So too. maybe we'll have some other good stories. I mean, I had so much fun working there with other people that, like, love movies so much. Like, yeah. there was this lesbian couple that used to come in once a week, and they would get their, like, date night movies, and they were obsessed with Jack Nicholson, and at the time, so was I. And there was, like, this... I remember, like, they were, like, this other worker who had been there for a long time. Like, they were her regulars like Mm -hmm. she always gave them her recommendations and they asked me one week because I also like Jack Nicholson and they had I was like have you ever seen about Schmidt and they'd never seen it and so I started doing like about Schmidt bits to them and I like remember that the the uh, my coworker had like ice in her eyes like she was like shooting daggers at me like I, it like hurt her you so much. You just stole and I her regulars. Stole her regulars for this one night, so that I could do Jack Nicholson impressions to them. Like it was, I was like, "Are you jealous of this?" I'm like, people are laughing at me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that'll that'll be fun. Yeah, but Tusk that Tusk did come out of a Kevin Smith's Smodcast episode. I guess he like saw a Craigslist ad. Like he's like this weird Craigslist ad that I just saw about. Uh, you know, a guy looking for a person to come dress up as a walrus for him. And, like, wouldn't it be weird if he, like, kidnapped him and turned him into a walrus? Like, oh, it's a good movie. And then, like, after the episode dropped, he, like, put a to- poll on Twitter. Should we turn Tusk into a movie? And that's what. It sounds like something that happened to Kevin Smith. <laughs> like, and he doesn't want to talk about it. Like, he was like, yeah, like... I needed some money and I went dressed up like, a, and I was like briefly missing. <laughs> but then the tusks got long enough that I broke out. I assume that that's the plot of tusks, right? Uh, Eventually, he'd stab some with his tusks. I once again, I didn't finish the film. Write in and tell uh, us the plot of tusks. <laughs> also, I rem- just I, all I remember is Justin Long. Justin Long also plays a podcast host. The reason that he's yeah, Justin Long and Haley Joel Osment played like podcast. Haley Joel Osment. He is the other character. In the Does movie. he also turn into a walrus? No, he's like his friend that has to come and save him. Okay. <laughs> but. <laughs> oh, he's the hero. Kinda. Um, That's cute. Oh, Johnny Depp's in it too. <laughs> he plays this really terrible character. <laughs> <laughs> Am I having like a nightmare? <laughs> you are. No, it's uh, it's like. You know the f- weirdest thing is the cinematographer of Tusk is the same cinematographer for Moonlight. <laughs> Not. Do you I'm, mean Twilight? No. I'm no. Kidding. No. <laughs> Have I told you that that I, that's like something I don't know what I'm gonna put it in, but. I just know that I want to, like, have something in a script where somebody's talking about Moonlight and this, like, really, like, a bimbo type is like, oh, you mean Twilight. And it's like, no. <laughs> I, I mean Oscar-winning, like, Moonlight. <laughs> yeah. God, was Twilight nominated for anything? Has it been nominated for anything? I don't even know. Probably, like, like, a Razzie or something. Well, no, I mean, like, sometimes, like, these movies can, like, squeak in with, like, best song Oh, it did have a the the first movie had like a really cool soundtrack actually, so maybe yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I'm looking it up. 
See, this is how much we love Sea of Love that we get so far off topic. We are looking to see if Twilight has got nominated for anything. <laughs> Some MTV awards. <laughs> yeah, the prestige. Teen pres Choice. Oh yes, the prestigious MTV and Teen Choice Awards. And won the MTV Movie Award for Best Kiss. Ooh, prestigious. Uh, best movie. And the wow, there's a Teen Choice Award for Lip Lock. Which I, I remember this movie being like really critiqued for having like a fucking like six minute like kiss scene where it takes like six minutes for them to oh, kiss. kiss. Oh Jesus Christ. Like, I've never seen Twilight either. Oh really? Mm -hmm. So like I liked it. It went in seventh grade. That's okay. Like it's fine. Fuck it, you know? Yeah. I'll come out and say it that I liked Twilight and it made me like a little breathless because I didn't know how to jerk off yet. And <laughs> I thought Edward sounded hot. And uh, I, wa I, I, wa I went and watched it, and then I went to, like, the base theater. When I lived in Hawaii, there was, like, a theater on base that was, like, free to go to, but it would only show movies that had been out for, like, four months. <laughs> or old movies. It would just, like, randomly be like, uh, tonight we're showing Surf Ninjas, starring Rob yeah. Schneider, which came out in 1993. Yeah, I went to the base theater to watch, I don't know, something with my brother. I just remember my brother was there and they screened the wrong movie. Like it was like we were in the wrong theater or they like swapped them because base theaters usually only have two mm -hmm. theaters. And uh, Twilight, they showed Twilight. So like the opening scene started where they're, it's like the woods or whatever and I was like, <gasps> oh boy. And then like my brother was like, no, let's go into the other theater and I like convinced him to stay. Like, it might be good. It might be good. No, I was my second viewing. Oh, it was your so second viewing. I was like, no, please let me watch it again. And my brother was like, probably like twenty one. Yeah. No, if I was twelve, then he was nineteen. So he was, yeah, he didn't want to watch it either way. Yeah. No matter what my brother's age was, he would not have wanted to watch. Twilight. Never been a time that he wanted to watch Twilight. Yeah. And so I saw it twice in theaters. Well, something. <laughs> I saw Attack of the Clones twice in theaters, so I can't. Speak about. And that's like supposed to be the bad one, right? That's probably the worst one of, of the, the prequel Star Wars films. Sorry, I burped. It was that's like fine. one that like just came out of me, like it like. Yeah, well, that, it happens, up. you know. I mean, th we should put that up on the premium though. Just have the people who really want to hear that. On the is, are people into burps? Oh, oh, really... that is totally a thing. That is no, Callie. That is definitely a thing. <laughs> I got some gnarly ones. You could make probably make some decent money. Guys, I have cute little feet and gnarly ass burps. Like, hit me up. <laughs> <laughs> I burp like my grandfather. Oh, that's the subtitle of this episode. Um, we were talking about Sea of Love, weren't we? <laughs> at, at some point, I think so. I, did you have anything more you wanted to say about that film? Because I don't really... Oh, I do actually, because um, the very first point I wanted to make, I never, I still have not got to it yet. Oh, um, sorry. But, uh, no, it's I fine. That was my fault. No, no, no one's fault. He, uh, Al Pacino's character at the beginning is like really jealous of um, his ex-wife's new lover, right. and is like getting in fights with him and stuff. And then eventually, like in the middle point, he like finally realizes he's being an asshole and like actually makes up with the guy. Whereas this guy is like his 
opposite, Michael Rooker's character is like so consumed with jealousy that he's like literally murdering his... Can't get over it. So they're supposed to, I think they're supposed to be like mirror images. They're mirror images of each other. Like this is what Al Pacino could have become if he didn't like... I could see that being what the screenwriter was going for if um, it was like executed. If it was built up better. it's. I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying like that's why I think they went in that direction. But like... It's stupid. It's not. I mean, see, it loves fine. You can watch it for free on Peacock if you really want to see it. The soundtrack's like you get to hear a really awesome song like seventy times in the movie. You can see, it loves one of my favorite songs, and the end credit scene is a cover uh, from Tom Waits that I did not know came from this movie. Uh, so I've always liked his cover too. Cat Power does a good cover of it. She's not it. She was too young to have been a part of this movie. But it's <laughs> the only Al Pacino movie of the '80s to not get nominated for a Razzie. And the funny thing is, this is Callie's least favorite of his movies from the '80s. So <laughs> that yeah. tells you what Cruising that, was the was, the, was best. the best. Yeah. Started out strong with the '80s. I do feel bad that he got so much flack for that, and then it ended like I, I want to write to Pacino. And freaking and be like, no, it was good. Good movie. Thank you. Like, we talk about it. We want to make a lesbian version. Like, Still. you got some money? <laughs> yeah, help, help, help executive produce the lesbian version. Some of that of sea of love money cruising, yeah. that you needed so bad. <laughs> we do have one other film that we need to talk about. And it's a short film based on a play. And it's the local stigmatic. And this was a passion project. David Wheeler did this. Best known... <laughs> As te for teaching a theater directing class at Harvard, in which Matt Damon was a student, and then Matt Damon brought in Ben Affleck to perform scenes from Goodwill Hunting, because uh, Matt's when Matt Damon wrote it. So that's what David Wheeler, the director of the local Stigmatic, is most of the no known for is for his loose connection with Goodwill Hunting. <laughs> loose, yeah. This is a film that didn't it didn't really have like a release. It was like. Yeah, they were, like, it was too short to really get, like, a proper theatrical thing, and, like, they were struggling to find distributors for it, so... But, like, Al Pacino loved this play, like, he did it in, like, 69, like, when he was first starting out, and, like, I guess really, really loved this play, and really wanted it, like, he wanted it to, like, be seen on, like, a wider scale. So it took, like, four years for them to make this, and, like, you know, they, they couldn't find distributors for it, so he just, he screened it once... At the at, MoMA. At the MoMA. And then, like, it was just had, like, scattered, like, screenings until it was finally released in the mid-2000s on some just random Pacino, like, the Al Pacino collection or something. Yeah, so for, like, 25 years, you could only watch this movie if you had Al Pacino's permission. Yeah, and, like, and actually, you know, mostly, um, most of the information that I got about this film um, wasn't from the Wikipedia page, which is, like, two sentences. It's, like, a shit-ass Wikipedia. Whoever update the local stigmatic wikipedia page with better information and a fucking plot synopsis then i'll donate to you wikipedia yeah then i'll donate to you wikipedia um <laughs> most of it came from this like old ass al pacino fan website right that was up like since 1997 like it looks like it's been up it's like on a tripod site and like, the i guess the person who who maintained the site went to this they did like a screening of local stigmatic at some point in the 90s that Al Pacino was there and the director were there for to talk about it. And it was like mostly, Yale. it was like done at Yale, I guess. 
It was like he, the guy, the way the person in the on the website put it, it was like, yeah, it was like mostly uh, like it was a screening with mostly Yale students and a few Al Pacino fanatics. <laughs> well, I guess we're like, this is an Al Pacino project we've never seen. We got to go see the local stigmatic. That's kind of like the audience we're going for is like yeah. mostly film kids and like a couple Pacino oops from Twitter. Yeah, no, I mean that. Like as soon as I read that, I was like, that sounds like our our listenership. <laughs> mentioned it but i've been reading a pacino interview book and he got his uh start in stand-up by doing movie reviews with his best friend that's so which is that's wonderful just what we're doing we're gonna be both be the next al pacino together together at the same time we're gonna scream at the same time if you <laughs> just synchronized hoorahs um so yeah this was interesting you know, <laughs> I think if I was in a different frame of mind, I would have possibly enjoyed this. But it is, it's just like so, it's such a, it, I feel like maybe it belongs on the stage. It, like no, maybe it that's like, where it should have stayed. That's the thing, it's like, it's not really filmic, you know, there's only a couple sets, only a couple of like changes of scenes, you yeah. know. Three characters. Mostly, yeah, mostly, most of the dialogue is done with Pacino and his co-star. Very, very heavily dialogue-driven. Even, like, even in the credits, like, after it's over, it says, a play by, and it's not, like, they don't even really acknowledge it as a film. I think, like, what, I think the purpose of this really was that, like, Pacino loved this play so much that he knew the best way that people would watch it would be if he released it as a movie. And not that it really has, like, a filmic quality to it. The playwright was interesting, the guy who wrote it. I'm looking at the, the co-star. His name's Paul Guilfoyle. I'm looking at his other roles. He was uh, a chef in Mrs. Doubtfire. And then he didn't really do... Oh, he was in Looking for Richard as well. He plays second murderer. I'm guessing I'm guessing him and Al Pacino have like theater, like a lot of theater connections. Because Al Pacino directed Looking for Richard. As, like That's like his directorial debut about like I believe he um he's like in a Shakespeare it's like he's, he's in Richard III I think and it's like about like directing about like mm. the process of Richard III and all that I can't wait till we get to that one but, uh, <laughs> it looks like his his main the main thing he's known for is he was on CSI for 14 years he played a uh, Captain Jim Brass yeah his name sounds familiar but I'm sure I've probably seen him in other things um oh he's American too what the fuck yeah, yeah, two American actors playing very heavily British. He, his British accent much better than Al Pacino's. Yeah, I, I was not as suspicious of um, him. I mean, of course I know Al Pacino is from the Bronx, but whenever you listen to this accent, you know something's wrong. I think, like, by the time the middle of the film comes around, you, like, you're kind of like, okay, I guess I'm rolling with this accent. I guess it sounds good. And he was doing these plays in London at the time, so maybe he, I don't know, maybe he was able to pick things up as the play, as the filming went on. Although filming only took nine days, so I don't know what I'm saying. Yeah. What he could have picked up in nine days. Yeah, I think, like I said, I don't think this production had, like, a huge budget or, like, he really had a lot of time to hone the Cockney accent in the way that he Although he for... rehearsed for four, they rehearsed for four months. And also, it's, like, a play he had done before when he was younger. Like, you would think... Yeah. And, like, he got, like, because in that fan site, they also included, like, at the very end of the, the write-up that he did of it, a little uh, 
review from the original New York Times view of the performance, and that it's like, oh, Pacino is stunning on the stage. He's like, it's just like overly glowing about Pacino's performance. So I'm thinking like maybe, maybe he just like got lazy with his Cockney accent. I don't know. I I think he's trying, and the thing is. What makes it bad is that it's just several different dialects. Yeah. And it's like, that's where you have to be, like, really careful when you're studying other people's voices and stuff to make sure that they're all from the same place and that it's the place that you're trying to represent. Because at different points, he sounded, like, Liverpudlian. Like, he sounded like a Beatle. <laughs> and, like, he, he did almost have these, like, mannerisms where I was like, did you just watch Paul McCartney? He looks like he's trying to dress like a Beatle. Like, he's wearing, he has these, like... John Lennon glasses on for that. Doesn't like, it feel more late 60s? Yeah, it's it looks like a late 60s like setting, um, even though I don't think it'll ever say what... Like, it could have been any time point, I guess. But they yeah. he's, like, dressed very 60s-ish. Although, uh, England is always 10 years behind us, so... Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah, but he has... Yeah, his, his hair is, like, that Beatles cut type. So, he lo yeah, he looks like a Beatle. I think he... Like, I think he's really attractive in this movie. I, I mean, brought it back. Want to fuck, <laughs> fuck his little uh, Mick Jagger mannerisms. Oh, yeah. He's doing. <laughs> I thought it was, so that was another thing where I was like, you know, he's trying or whatever. He, yeah. like, he changed his mannerisms. He changed the way his mouth formed words. Like he was really like trying to like do something. And it wasn't like kind of how people on SNL will like do a face because they're doing an accent. It's like, yeah, he, he was trying to trying like, to be a real person. Emulate how like people f that he knows from England like act and talk and like there is you know different like dashes of like femininity and stuff. Which uh, you sent me a really interesting interview clip. Oh yeah, from the... like Bomb magazine in 1990. Like they straight up ask him. Didn't they ask like it, it, did you notice like a, a homosexual theme in this film? Like yeah, like, you, I think you have to exact question like phrasing of the question so the it, like he said uh sometimes you feel like you're brave enough to say i'll oh, screw it and i wonder if that's if that is in reference to the accent oh okay because yeah. like i agree i mean yeah like if you just want to play a part or whatever there are like things like in any part where you're like oh i'm gonna look silly or stupid it's like you yeah, at some point you do just have to say like fuck it I'm just gonna try my best or whatever so I, I respect that but the interviewer said do you think there is an undercurrent of homosexuality running throughout the play and he said I don't believe so they play perverse sexual games they play everything heterosexuality homosexuality machismo femininity it's all about ambiguity identity recognized and noticed sexual ambivalence ACDC in the abstract and yeah yeah, Jane and I kind of both rolled our eyes at that because, like, there are these scenes where, like, they almost kiss. Yeah, it's there's a like there's, I like, mean yearning between th them. There's a like at the, when when they're in the apartment, his friend like is talking about how he got kicked out of like a gay bar, right? And so. like Al Pacino like really wants to kiss. Like, we should go to that. What was that bar that you got kicked out of? We should go there. And when they, you know, there's no real plot to this. Like, really, I can just. I can just give you every single thing that happens like real fast in like two seconds. Al Pacino's pissed that his dog uh, that he was betting on at the dog races um, didn't do shit and like he's mad at the guy that gave him a tip. They leave. They come across this fucking drunk guy while they're they go oh, they go see a movie. They get out of the movie. They talk more. They see a drunk guy walking around. Al Pacino like 
harasses him for a little bit because he thinks that he might be the guy that gave him the tip that was bad and his friend just kind of hand stands there and Al Pacino gets pissed at his friend like why didn't you help me be a dick to this guy they go to the bar that that he got kicked out of um they come across this actor guy Al Pacino's like all fawning over him they take they leave then he turns and he's like a dick and he him and his friend beat the shit out of the actor and they leave a fucking stigmata like mark on his face yeah, they like etch across. And then they go back home and they. And I was worried that somebody was going to get nails through their hands. <laughs> the whole movie. Oh. I was like, no. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's what you normally think of stigmata. But like, yeah, and then they go back home and his friend calls the actor guy up because I guess the actor guy didn't recognize him when he walked by. And like, like the main the main theme of the of the play seems like that like celebrity is bullshit and like creepy, and that like why should we worship these people who, like, are narcissists? Like, I mean, it kind of, it's like, kind of like, you know, like a celebrity culture is bullshit type of um, play. Um, I think Pacino definitely feels that way. He, like, yeah. doesn't really like, I mean, he, he he likes to talk to people and stuff, but, like, he doesn't seem to like to be thought of as, like, yeah, he, some, like, celebrity or, like, some famous person. I think he likes acting. I don't think he likes the celebrity aspect of it at all. Yeah, the writer of it was a famous British playwright, Keith Cove Williams, who passed away a couple years ago. He, I think he's like a playwright that Al Pacino likes a lot, and like respects and wishes that his work was more widely known. That's one thing I, I definitely thought made it seem more like a play, is just the way it reads, is like these long monologues, and like, it's like movies just aren't shot this way. And you know, the reason why it's his accent is annoying is because it's so heavily a dialogue driven and his accent is like constantly shifting and it's so thick there's you're no like, like escape for him like he has to keep doing it and like, you're like and you're like t desperately trying to like understand every because like it's so it's a so dialogue based it's like every word counts you have to know everything they're talking about and like it just becomes kind of a hard task yeah. especially if you don't have captions that's what I, like, mostly had to say about it to you. Like, afterwards, I was like, I just had a hard time following this, to be yeah. honest. <laughs> like, I, I, that website that Jane mentioned, I had Jane send me, like, a synopsis mm -hmm. of the movie because I was like, I honestly don't know what happened. Yeah. They beat somebody up. Like, I don't know. It's like a bunch of men being like, and then they just beat the shit out of somebody. It's like, that's the movie. Yeah. Um, it kind and the dose. The yeah, no, I was like, it, it rem I told you it reminded me a lot of, like, A Clockwork Orange, which the original book yeah. came out around the same time the play was written, and they, they both have this, like, very old, they're both, like, very violent British, like, hard to, yeah, and they're, like, they kind of have similar themes. And it's, like, also kind of about, like, random violence, mm -hmm. and, like, it not meaning anything, Yeah, stuff like, like that, too. You sent me a bunch of little, like, fun facts from it. And you said that Al Pacino was considering putting this, like, releasing this after Pulp Fiction came out because they were both, the characters were both nihilists, so yeah, it would be popular. He thought it would, he thought it would do well, but I don't, I don't think that it's even too on short. the, That's the Pulp problem. Fiction wave, it wouldn't have rode. Like, it's not a full length, it's not even an hour long. <laughs> and it's just, like, so difficult to, like, get to know the characters and, like, what they're because of how they, like, do play these games with each other, like, that mm -hmm. was the other part where I was like, I don't even really know what's happening because, like, the way they talk to each other is just so 
hard to fault, like, confusing. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but I, I mean, I thought he was really cute in it. He does look, yeah, he is attractive. Um, I love, like, a long leather coat from... If you really want to watch it, it's less than an hour, or you can find it on YouTube. It's easily found. It's just, I don't know if I would go at him. And, like, really, it's only for, like, the, like, if you're really like a hardcore Al Pacino completionist. <laughs> you don't really need to seek it out, otherwise it's not that good. <laughs> Did you see that tweet where someone was like, wait, does it make me crazy that I've watched Al Pacino's entire filmography? Love that. What's think... our next movie? Dick Tracy. John. There's yeah. a reason my brain was like, don't think about it. The uh, Oscar-nominated Pacino performance in Dick Tracy, <laughs> which, you know, like, honestly, that movie kind of like brings us back to the beginning when I was talking about Madonna and Vision Quest because Madonna yeah. is also in Dick Tracy. It all comes full circle. <laughs> I was like, there's a reason, you know, like that I went on so long about Madonna, you know, because yeah. we're going to talk about her next week. I'm trying to get it's you all part of the bumped plan. up. <laughs> we didn't, you know, it's not that we just go on tangents. It's like, oh, yeah. No, we, we script these. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been like kind of avoiding Dick Tracy. I've watched, I skipped over it because I know I want to watch it with Jane. Yeah, neither of us have seen it yet. So. I went up and watched Frankie and John. I have not watched Centiful Women because I also would like to watch that with you. Yeah, is that the way it goes? Is it? No, because with Godfather 3, it's... Um, right, but Dick, I just watched it. Yeah, you've seen that. So Dick, Godfather, and Frankie and John. Uh, I would really love to have my good friend Chloe on for the Godfather Part 3 episode. She is another uh, film girl and she named her son after a character from The Godfather, so it seems fitting. But uh, Chloe's really busy, so I'm going to have to bully her. And I think you all should bully her as well. If you'd like her to be on it, her at is at Bogue Bogington. B-O-G-E-B-O-G-I-N-G-T-O-N. <laughs> so just be like, what the fuck are you doing? And then she'll be like, raising my child. I can't be on a podcast. <laughs> but, I mean, I think she would have some really interesting stuff to say, so... Anything else? Any upcoming projects? <laughs> um, I'm working on making a zine uh, for oh, yeah. the podcast, kind of, or like as a result of the podcast, because we've noticed all these like different themes uh, and like aspects of film theory that have been through like all of Pacino's work, a lot of LGBT like queer stories and strong female roles like a cab stuff like that and there's some artists on twitter that i'm gonna work with so uh we'll have that out eventually i think it would be cool to like release like page by page on patreon oh yeah that'd be tight just as we go and that'll come patreon will be up at some point soon yeah we're still figuring that part out my cousin is like working on designing that t-shirt the homosexual undertones yes i'm excited about that too oh it's um, good stuff on the down the pike yeah so maybe we'll have some stuff if you oh uh we're both really poor what's your venmo at my venmo Sorry, say it like that my venmo is at purple lawn chair if you really if you really like the podcast and what is your venmo mine's at cali bud it's just like my twitter so yeah if you feel generous you could do that as well um can't not gonna can't promise anything but episodes in return on that end but is that not enough for you people <laughs> um, um no i'll draw you a frog um or i'll do a pacino impression for you uh either for like five bucks or something that sounds right all right that, I, bet. I won't do anything 
Um, I'm trans. Come on. No. <laughs> uh, it's not enough. John Mulaney has a bit about that, about how somebody was like, the, well, the person that came up and was like, I'm, I'm gay and I have AIDS uh, and I'm new in town. He thought at first when they just said, I'm gay, that they were like asking for money. And he was like, I don't think that you can just be like, I'm very gay. Can I have some money, please? <laughs> but in this instance, I mean. That's what I'm doing, exactly yeah. what I'm doing. Yeah, and I also am going to be on the Rongo pod, hopefully soon. Just a quiz show hosted by a friend of mine. Rongo pod you can find it on all the district um i already i recorded an episode previously but it got lost so i'm re-recording it so I tomorrow think so. you have the bad luck maybe <laughs> the lost episodes yep but yeah uh james gonna record it here so that it doesn't get lost and we'll see you guys next week for dick tracy keep it locked to the pacino pod <laughs> <laughs>